Welcome to the That's Deep podcast. I'm Naomi, and I'm an international board-certified life and success coach, neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, or NLP, as you've heard it, an empath, a mother, an introvert, and a podcast host. It is my mission to empower humans from the inside out through inner and outer exploration. Thank you so much for being here. If you love the show, please give it a follow and a five-star rating. I appreciate you so much. Now let's dive in. Pardon the interruption, but I have a really quick question for all of you. What type of empath are you? If you're not sure and you haven't taken my empath quiz yet, you can certainly do so at thatsdeepco.com backslash empath dash quiz. And I will also leave a link for it in my show notes. When you take the quiz, you'll find out your type and you'll also be sent a free guided meditation that corresponds to your specific empath type. Thank you so much. And I look forward to helping you find out your type. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to invite you to connect with me on Instagram at naomicourtney.co. Again, that's at naomicourtney.co on Instagram. Thank you. Okay, so I am honored to welcome Leslie McDaniel to the show today. She's a certified professional coach, a Myers-Briggs type indicator practitioner, personality hacker certified profiler, and an Enneagram accredited practitioner. So thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and I just want to just jump right into your story and your background. So where are you from and what do you do for a living? Sure. I'm currently living in Oregon and uh, I am a um, professional and personal development coach and a personality type consultant. Awesome. Awesome. And if you could, uh, this is a tricky question for a lot of people, but if you could (laughs) briefly bring us through your life's journey. So how did you go from where you were before to where you are now? Yeah. So yeah, that is, it's a really broad question, right? And I'm always like, where do I start? What's important? Um, But yeah, so right now I'm a coach, of course, I run my own business and I've had a lot of different um, jobs, I guess you'd say for lack of a better term throughout my life. But I like to think of it more in terms of broad themes. And I think the biggest theme or the, the through line of all of my work in my life has been a quest for understanding. And that has played out in different roles. Like I was a teacher, I was a photographer, I did video work, I did communications work, and now I'm running my own business. So those were sort of stops along the way. Um, And I like to look at all of the things that I've done as, um, you know, I've gained something from each of them that has helped me to uh, be where I am today and to build a kind of business that I want to have. Yeah, that's so awesome. What, like, what grades did you teach or what subjects did you teach for school? Yeah, I taught, um, so anywhere from fifth through eighth grade, so middle school, um, and I taught science every year that I, I just sort of fell into that when that was the job that was open. So I was like, okay, I'm a science teacher. And then, uh, yeah, and then I went on to get sort of a a advanced degree in science education and stuff to kind of help with my knowledge in in that. But yeah, middle school science. Oh, very cool. Okay. And if you could give your 21-year-old self any words of wisdom, what would it be? Yeah, this may sound strange, but I think I would say I love you because 
I don't think I would have, I, I wasn't in a space to be able to say that to myself back then. I didn't feel that towards myself. Um, and then also, you know, based on the conversation we just had, I think I would say you have a lot of pain and joy ahead of you in life, but you're going to take something from all of those experiences and, you know, just to buckle in, <laughs> like it's a journey and to relax as well, right? Like to relax a little more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, those are some really good words of advice. And I think even for like um, someone who graduated high school, just graduated high school, that would be uh, some really good mm. tips for them too. So yeah. Okay. I want to get into a fun round of personal questions so that our listeners can get to know you better. Sure. So yeah. When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have a lot of really early memories. Um, the earliest kind of career aspirations, I guess, that I can remember are photography and teaching. Um, I don't really remember like being a little kid and like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a superhero or whatever. I don't remember those kinds of things. I'm sure that I had them, but I just can't remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, I've listened to a few of your features on other people's podcasts, and you've mentioned, you know, your background in teaching, kind of shared a little bit of your story. And I'm just curious, what made you decide to make that transition, uh, you know, between teacher to coach? Yeah, so there wasn't a direct parallel, right, like a direct path. Um, and the the decision to not teach was a little bit forced on me. And it wasn't completely out of my control, but my husband and I decided to move cross country, like 2000 miles uh, for a job opportunity for him. And it happened to be after the school year had already started. So that sort of started my search for what is next. You know, I had just finished a master's in education. I thought that was what I was going to do for a little while, but um, I realized that the university in my town uh, had a photography program. So I thought this is pretty perfect, right? Full circle, original, sort of one of my original career aspirations, like we just talked about. Um, and then that just led me down this path of discovering creativity, um, being able to use that in that quest for understanding and helping others understand each other. And um, really opened up a lot of doors for me and opened up my mind as to what was possible for me and my work. And so I did photography, video, graphic design, communications, website work, and then decided I, I really wanted to go out on my own to have my own business. Um, it's like the best personal development path you could choose, I think. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that sounds awesome. That's cool. Um, and I'm just curious also, like, what, what's one thing that you wish people knew more about you? Yeah. This question is interesting to me, um, and it's no, there's nothing wrong with the question, but I think it, it touches a little bit of a sore space in me in thinking of, you know, INFJs, which I am, and introverts in general are often misunderstood, right, in a lot of ways. So I want to say that's like a base of understanding. I get that. But I think right now there's a little too much focus on I'm misunderstood. People don't get me. Um, I think it's, um, it's, I think we're lacking a lot of room for growth if we really focus on that piece of it. Um, so I guess to answer your question, a simple question or answer for me would be just that there's more than meets the eye. Um, but I think just 
thinking about what do I wish people would know about me? There was a time where I was like, people don't get me. They don't understand me. Um, but I think that I'm very interested in growth and moving beyond that. So it really, I guess, bothers me for lack of a better word. Like when I see the personal development space, like overwhelmed with those kinds of um, posts, there's nothing wrong with them because we all need to find our space. We all need to understand that we are understood, can be understood. But um, does this make sense? I think I, I, yeah. I just like latch on to that, like, people must understand this about me. No one understands me kind of thing. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm also an INFJ. So like, yes. I get where you're coming from. And <laughs> I, I like that you're a little, you know, you're more like growth focused. So like, I feel like, you know, that I'm, in, I'm misunderstood. I misunderstood. Nobody gets me. Nobody will. It's more like staying in that victim mentality. But Absolutely. I think, yeah, like what you're talking about is being more at cause for your life and, you know, kind of taking that radical responsibility for, for personal growth. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, there's, we've all been there, right. And we all are still there at times, no matter where we are in our growth journey, like being a victim and feeling like we're misunderstood. So I don't want to diminish anyone who's feeling that, but I just think the reinforcement of that over and over and over through memes and, you know, quotes and random things like that, it just, it kind of really hurts me because I think there's so much lost potential there um, yeah. for people who might actually be interested in embarking on a self-development journey. And really those things are just reinforcing the beliefs they already have about themselves, if that makes sense. That's right. Yeah. No, I totally resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So on a fun note, uh, what's your favorite song or like musical artist? Gosh, I struggle so much with the favorite questions. I, I don't really have uh, favorites. Um, I do enjoy music, but I find myself being gra or gravitating more towards kind of folk type music, like Sufjan Stevens or uh, Bon Iver, like those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I like a lot of styles of music. I can't really pinpoint and say, this is my favorite song or this is my favorite band. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm tough. pretty There's... lame with that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. There's a lot of choices. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. So I, okay, this is also another kind of a tough question, but sure. if, you, if, yeah, if you could change like anything about the world right now, what would it be? Yeah. So I don't know when this podcast will be published, but you know, the, the culture, the conditions that we find ourselves in, I mean, I would just say, and this is probably universal for all time periods, but more understanding, more ability or desire to understand each other's perspectives and to be able to sit with people, even in disagreement and to disagree in kindness and to at least try to understand each other's perspective. Now, INFJs are probably pretty good at that in general, but the world at large, you know, there's so many people who are just not willing to sit and consider that maybe everything they've believed for a long time is flawed in some way, or they're missing some pieces of information because their experience doesn't allow them that understanding. And maybe it never will, if that makes sense. Like when we're talking about things like race, right? Like there are certain things I cannot understand as a white person. So yeah, just more understanding, more kindness, more uh, willingness to step into other people's perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. And, and what is like one thing that you would never change about yourself? Mm. 
I feel like my identity is a little bit fluid <laughs> at times, but I think that probably my willingness to learn and grow um, is probably something I would never change. I don't think it ever could change, but I definitely wouldn't give that up. Yeah, 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 seriously. And and I'm just thinking more on this uh, topic of being an INFJ. So mm-hmm. for our listeners, um, you know, you mentioned you're an INFJ in the Myers-Briggs personality type system. So here's a little bit of background info for our listeners who, you know, aren't too familiar with that type. So the four-letter code broken down is introverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging. And we've talked about the dichotomies, you know, in previous episodes. So Um, Everyone, you can check out season two, episode two to hear more. But on this episode with Leslie, I want to do something different. So because she is a certified Myers-Briggs type indicator practitioner and a personality hacker certified profiler, I want to get a deeper dive into some of the INFJ, you know, information um, out there from an expert in the field. So historically, you know, we've seeing that INFJs are the rarest type. And now with more information coming out, um, I'm hearing that INFJs are not the rarest personality type anymore. So could you kind of clarify that a little bit? And like, which type is the rarest now or are INFJs still the rarest? (laughs) Yeah, so the information on, um, you know, type numbers comes from the um, Myers-Briggs type indicator, the official tool that was developed uh, for this system. And so the Myers-Briggs, I don't know if they're the organization, I think the Myers-Briggs company is actually what it is. They're the ones that sort of publish these results based on their their testing and their data collection. So the most recent results that they published were in 2018, and that was a global study. So it wasn't just the United States, you know, some of that data from INFJ was from a long time ago. I don't know the date, but um, so in their most recent, global numbers, uh, ENTJ is actually the most rare, Um, and then ENFJ, and then INFJ, and INTJ, but (laughs) those are the ones that are kind of at the bottom now, and um, that's where that information comes from. Wow, that is so interesting, and I think it like, you know, kind of busts my own basic surface level, you know, knowledge about type, because I'm like, an extrovert is a like one of the rarest types and it's like yeah like I just I always forget that it goes so much deeper um it goes you know into the cognitive functions which I'll ask you more questions about too um but back to the INFJ topic what are like some common strengths that some INFJs have yeah probably the biggest one um is the ability to um to anticipate you know future implications particularly around people you know, that's based on our dominant function. That's what our gifting is, um, or one of the major ones. And I think also just the ability to think about thinking, you know, recognize patterns with respect to thinking. So metacognition, right? That's another one of our giftings. Um, I think there's probably lots also depending on each individual's strengths and focuses, but those are kind of based on mind mind wiring, which is what the type is based on that's kind of our strengths I would say. Nice and and on that note um, what are some common things that INFJs struggle with? Yeah being present <laughs> that would probably <laughs> be one of the top ones. Um, yeah overwhelm uh, especially when it comes to sensory information or 
like a really overload of information, like if it's really quick coming in uh, quickly. Um, yeah, I think those are probably a couple of the top ones. Also, you know, based on my work that I do, uh, not, not being able to take action on their bigger picture abstract vision. Not that they can't, I shouldn't say it that way, um, but not taking action. Like they struggle to take action in the, the real concrete world um, from their abstract visions that they have. Yeah, and I'm just curious, like, what, I guess, why do you think that that happens? Like, because I, I can definitely relate to, like, all of those struggles, but why do you think that happens, that they have, you know, sometimes some trouble with creating those concrete actions based on those abstract visions? Yeah, well, for one, uh, it's so much better in our minds, right, <laughs> than what it ever will be. It's perfect in our heads, and when you come to reality, the external world, so first of all, we're introverts. So going into the external world is not as comfortable, right? <clears throat> so we're going to want to stay naturally speaking in our inner minds, in our inner world. And that's true for all introverts. And for extroverts, it's true for them. And they want to stay in their external world and not go inward. Um, or it's more difficult for them too. So when it comes to taking action, there's the, the fact that we have our perfect vision in our minds. And we are going to have to get in the external world to make it real and it's harder for us to be concrete, um, you know, to get more and more concrete, more concrete action steps. So sometimes it's harder to, um, to fillet that out, to figure out what are those individual action steps that are gonna be necessary. Yeah, yeah, I can totally relate to that. And I feel like working with like a coach or like a life coach has really helped me kind of, you know, lay out those action steps and kind of make that vision a little bit clearer. So for that, I appreciate like other personality types too with different perspectives and different methods. So that's really, Absolutely. really cool. Yeah. And I listened to um, one of your podcast episodes. I, um, is it the Creative Introvert podcast that you were on? I was on that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked your explanation describing MBTI as like preferences and not traits because, you know, it doesn't put people in boxes. So could you share the example of how this can be thought of um, as like handedness, like your example that you gave in that podcast episode? Yeah. So, you know, the traits are behaviors and it, and that is really usually the first thing we all try to look for. Like, do I have that trait? Do I, do I have that behavior? But this whole system developed by Myers and Briggs is based on the cognitive functions, right? But the eight cognitive functions from Young, but they put it in the system of four dichotomies. So that is based on the idea of preferences. So I or E, are you an introvert or extrovert? N or S, are you int intuitive or sensing and so on? So if you think of the idea of preferences, it's not you, in, you are an either or. You're not either an introvert or an extrovert. You have preferences for one side because we look at the cognitive functions, we do both introvert and extrovert activities, just like I talked about, right? So the idea of handedness, um, which I learned in my training, is like a simple activity and you do this when you take people through the Myers-Briggs assessment. Um, but if you think about like picking up a pen or a pencil um, and anyone listening can do this, right? Like you automatically are gonna pick it up with one hand. Um, I write, I'm right-handed, so I automatically pick it up. I don't think about it, it's super comfortable. I don't have to like process anything. I write my hand, my signature automatically with my right hand. There's no thought to it usually. Um, if I were to switch to my other hand, you know, that is going to be a lot more uncomfortable and 
difficult, time-consuming. It's probably going to be sloppy. Usually when I ask people, now write your, your signature with your left hand, if they're right-handed, they kind of laugh and they giggle. And it's kind of funny because it's really uncomfortable. So this brings home the idea of preferences. So if I'm, a, I'm an introvert, the introvert side is really comfortable to me. It feels like home. It feels natural. The extrovert side or the left-handed side for me would be much more uncomfortable. It may be, I may bumble along. I may feel silly. Um, it may not look perfect. You know, that's kind of the idea. So I try to reinforce that idea with people too, because it can help us release some of our holds that we might have on, you know, maybe I'm an ambivert <laughs> because they can't find the one or the other, but this whole system is just preferences. Which side do you prefer in your natural environment? Like they like to say your shoes off self. So when you're relaxing, comfortable, you're not playing any particular role, what is your overall preference? Oh, very cool. I learned something new today. <laughs> so cool. Okay. And I also want to talk about um, personality hackers, car model, like in terms of the cognitive function. So would you be able to explain that for our listeners who are like, I have no idea what any of this means? Yeah, sure. Well, they have a ton of resources, which they can explain it so much better than I can, I'm sure. But in general, uh, the car model is a metaphor for the functions, the mental functions that we use or that we have most access to. Um, I mentioned a minute ago that our types in the system are based on eight cognitive functions, so we can have all eight, but the car model shows which four are most accessible. So in the car, if you think about a car or a four passenger car with a front seat and a back seat, the front seat functions are the ones that are going to give us like, uh, I hate to use the word like the, that they're stronger. That's not necessarily true, but they, they have the, the most bang for the buck, so to speak. Like we have most access to them. Um, they are our strengths and our giftings. Um, the backseat functions in personality hacker model, they call that the 10-year-old and the three-year-old. So they're still an important part of the family, but they are going to need to play roles that are related to kind of what a 10-year-old might do and what a three-year-old might do. Um, and it's important to keep that in mind forgot to mention that the front seat is the driver and the co-pilot. So the driver would be like your flow state, like the, the state that just is natural to you. The co-pilot would be that for introverts. It's the extroverted function that you need to get into um, to, to complement your driver. And then you've got your backseat functions. Is that enough? I don't know. There's a lot yeah. into, involved in that. But. Yeah, yeah. No, that was awesome. And would you be able to share some brief descriptions of the four you know, primary cognitive functions that INFJs uh, use in their functional stack? Sure. So um, the dominant function for INFJs is called introverted intuition. Um, it's symbolized by an N with a little I. And so NI is a processing function. That's a learning function. So we walk through the world with a processing learning function. We're gathering information. And this function is really kind of strange and it's hard to explain unless you are experiencing it. And even if you're experiencing it, sometimes it's difficult to explain. But it's a pattern recognition function because it's an intuitive function. And it's looking for patterns, particularly in the way people are thinking and in the way you're thinking. And um, it, it is able to come up with future implications for things. It runs scenarios. Uh, it runs like, um, I can't think of the word, but it runs these scenarios in, in your mind of what might happen in the future. 
Um, just a note too, as I go through these, none of these exist in isolation, even though I'm describing them in isolation, they actually work together. Um, but that's kind of the gist of our dominant function. Our auxiliary or co-pilot function is extroverted feeling. So this is our decision-making function. And it happens in the external world and it involves people. And we base our decisions on what creates harmony for a group of people. So it's not just what meets the needs of individ an ind individual, but what would meet the needs of the group? How can I create harmony amongst this group? Um, and that's really what we base our decisions on when we're making decisions. The 10-year-old uh, in the backseat or the tertiary function for INFJs is called introverted thinking. Um, this is another decision-making function and it's, it's a little more based on logic and logical analysis of things. However, it's subjective because it's based on what the user itself makes, thinks makes most sense, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of looking for those little pieces uh, that don't, um, that aren't congruent. It looks for the things that are incongruent and it wants to kind of get rid of those. So it's really like what makes sense, but it's what makes sense to the user. Um, and then finally, the um, inferior or three-year-old function is called extroverted sensing. It's another processing information gathering process function. And it's all about what's happening right now. So it's taking in information from your five senses or from all of your senses. And um, that actually feeds your intuition. We're not quite you know, aware of it. And that's where we often get ahas out of nowhere from our intu introverted intuition. Um, because our, in the background, our mind's been picking up all these clues from the external environment that we weren't really aware of in the process. Um, but yeah, those are the, the four functions. Um, there's a lot more we could go into on that, but hopefully that will help people who are just starting out to get a little understanding of themselves. Yeah, very cool. And I, I was just thinking about introverted thinking. And like when I first learned about the function, I didn't learn like everything that I needed to learn about it. And so I remember being like, this is the truth. This is the truth. But I then learned that this is my truth. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. interesting. It's awesome that, you know, for everything that you've explained, I'm like, uh-huh, that's exactly how my mind works. So yeah. yeah. The introverted thinking can be, a, can be tricky, especially in the 10-year-old position. Uh, it can make us really critical if we forget to get into our co-pilot of extroverted feelings. So you might run across INFJs who are extremely critical or maybe, they, maybe they're even self-righteous or they think that their way is the only way. Um, and that can happen. It's just a, a red flag for us to figure out, mm, I need to back up, get back out into people, you know, with people and uh, take in, make my decisions that way. That's going to be a stronger decision-making decision function than relying on that 10-year-old. Ah, I see. Okay. And, and on that note, how can an INFJ grow their auxiliary or co-pilot function? Yeah, you've got to get around people, right? You've got to interact with people. Uh, you have to talk about your, your visions. Um, it's one reason coaching, right, works so well, or therapy even for people who use extroverted feeling, because you get those things out in the open, and you can make sense of them. You can make decisions uh, about them. So I would say, yeah, get with people, um, maybe involve yourselves in, in small groups or um, connect with individuals regularly, regularly, get that, uh, what's in your head, get it out in the open. Yeah, that is some awesome advice. And okay, I'm going to ask you about the firm model. And I know that's probably like a lot of information, but 
I know that each type or like sets of types, they're focused on different things, right? So can you share like what, what is the firm model and what would the INFJ be fixated on? Yeah. So the firm model is another, it's a, I think personality hacker calls it a proprietary model. I think they've sort of developed it. Um, and they, they say that you can actually be fixated on any of these four that I'm going, going to mention, but in general, it's another, uh, indicator for type. So the acronym firm F I R M, uh, tells these four fixations for different types. So the first one would be freedom. So any type that ends with an E and or begins with an E and ends with a P like an EP type, um, would be fixated on freedom. So, you know, their whole life is about freedom. They want freedom. Uh, they, they don't want anything to take away from their freedom. And again, this is not the, the case 100% for all uh, EPs that they have a real issue with it. But in general, that's why they call it the firm model fixation that they really want that. So it's another clue when you're looking for your type. Um, I would be, oh, I don't, did you ask me about all of them or just INFJ? Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm actually curious okay. now to hear about um, all of them because I was just thinking about my husband. He's an ENFP and man, like in the beginning <laughs> of our relationship, it was like, this is my, you know, I'm not going to give away my freedom. And mm. I, I, yeah, it was just so interesting. So it, it's helped me learn about him and what he needs too. Yeah. So I started launching into that. And I was like, wait, is that what she wants to know? Um, yeah. But yeah, and this, the point of knowing this is also awareness, right? To know if you're in your fixation. So even though we do really, really want that thing, we don't have to let it drive us. Um, but the I is invulnerability. So any IJ type uh, is fixated on invulnerability. And then there is R, which is rightness. Any IP type is fixated on that. And then there is management. So any EJ type is fixated on management. Yeah, I'm just like thinking about all the different types in my life. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it makes so much sense. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I loved your blog article, um, The INFJ Guide to Conflict. So conflict has always been something that's really been challenging for me. Um, and, you know, once I learned more about why this might be kind of an uncomfortable thing for an INFJ, um, it made a lot more sense. So why do you think INFJs feel so stressed out with conflict and why is it so hard for them? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that a long time ago. I, I'm not quite sure what I said in it, but uh, hopefully this will match up. <laughs> um, but yeah, INFJs, I mean, a lot of people can really dislike conflict, whether they're, or not, whether they're INFJs or not. Um, but I think part of it is that INFJs are really sensitive to um, a lack of harmony in a group, right? And so uh, they also are really sensitive to the feelings and emotions of others. And I don't mean they just care about them, they actually usually feel them, like uh, they feel them in themselves. And so if there's anger or sadness or disagreement, like they're really feeling that. Um, so I think that's one reason. The other thing is just that it, um, you know, conflict, to have conflict with someone else, it's outside of you, right? Like it's, it's in the external world, it's with another person. Um, it's not as comfortable for us to be there in that place. Um, so I think those are probably a couple of reasons why, you know, INFJs dislike conflict. Um, it really comes down to being types who make decisions based on feeling, which is in the Myers-Briggs system, feeling uh, makes their decisions on based on people, what people want, 
what people need um, and having disagreement there is uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And is there anything that an INFJ can do to be better prepared for conflict? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I do talk about this in the article, but I like to go at it from the idea of thinking about conflict differently. So when, you know, the listeners are, if they're thinking about conflict in their mind, they probably have a certain picture or even a certain feeling inside of them. And that's based on how they have defined conflict, right? Um, and maybe their past experiences with conflict. But if we could go into it, understanding that, you know, this is where personality type comes into play too, right? Like, I have my perspective, they have their perspective, and if we can work to understand and find the middle place where we can both like have those things overlap, then perhaps we can find a solution to this conflict. Or also understanding that, I think I talked a little bit about music, the idea of music in the article, and you know, to create harmony in music, it's not just one note, right? You have to have multiple notes playing, so there's room for all of our perspectives and to gain acceptance with that. And just if, because someone sees things differently or disagrees, it doesn't have to mean that you are, you know, there's something wrong with you. Maybe that you, maybe your position is needing to be expanded a little bit, but um, yeah, I'm starting to ramble. I feel like, I hope this makes sense. Um, no, I think that, sense. yeah, just thinking about conflict in a different way and really, this is a lot of the coaching work and personal work I do, just dismantling the beliefs you have, being aware of the beliefs you have and the, the fears you have related to conflict can be a big step. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's, I, I can feel that you're doing a lot of reframing work here, mm -hmm. right? Reframing what it means to, to go through conflict and your idea of conflict. So I like that a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. words, I mean, I think probably for most INFJs, uh, a lot of INFJs, words are really uh, important to me, um, like the meaning of words, how we define things, how we're looking at things. So I definitely use that as a tool in my own life and in my coaching, for sure. Yeah, that is so awesome. And do you have any like general tips for your fellow INFJs, you know, like in life, personal, relationships, career? That's kind of a tough one too, but... <laughs> Yeah. Um, work with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I am totally kidding on that. Um, I mean, as far as the only advice, uh, but yeah, I think, um, I think be kind to yourself is usually the one that I say, uh, in general, INFJs are so, so hard on themselves. They have really high expectations and I've even worked with some who, when we talk about perfectionism, which is a common issue, they're like, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not good enough to be a perfectionist. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, I think that might be the definition of perfectionism, right? Like you're, you're never yeah. quite good enough. Um, so I would say, be kind to yourself. Um, acknowledge the work that you have done. Um, and maybe there is room for acknowledging the work you haven't done too, right? Depending on where you are in your growth journey. Um, but responding with kindness in that, um, but res uh, acknowledging all that you have done because so quickly, or we can discount what we have done, the steps we have made so quickly. And then we can get to like, well, I'm not making any progress at all. And it's usually not true, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I love that so much. And now I want to dive into, you know, coaching INFJs and personality type profiling. So why did you decide to coach INFJs specifically? 
I have gotten this question a lot and I, I can't really answer it directly um, because looking back when I began my business, I knew first that I wanted to have my own business before I knew what it was going to be actually. Um, I was going through an exploration period of, you know, what, what am I going to bring to the world? What is my business going to be about? Who am I, who am I going to serve and all of that? Um, and as I was working through that, working with some coaches, going through some courses, um, this idea of working with INFJs came to me. It was specific INFJ women at the time. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's it. And, you know, I think probably my mind had been primed when realizing that was a niche that could really use uh, help and could use benefit of some of the things I had been learning as well. So yeah, that's what I hit the ground running with that and uh, began to build an audience around that topic. And um, that's how it, it came to be. Yeah, that is amazing. And what shifts, um, you know, what types of shifts do you help your clients make? Yeah. Uh, as we've talked about a lot of mindset shifting, um, I think even just uh, this week, I uh, had a client who we recently started working together and we talked about the idea of success, what success meant to them. And they had declared just a week or two ago that they didn't think they'd ever felt success in their life before, in their adult life before. And it wasn't coming from a sort of a depressed state. It was just like, I haven't been happy with what I think success is. Well, this week they felt like they have actually, they're like, I've recognized that I'm actually living some of the, the dream that I want to live. And so that shift is huge, right? Like I've had a couple, yeah. two clients this week tell me that they've had what they consider breakthrough sessions with me. So I think anytime they see things in a totally new light, um, they've literally shifted their, their eyes, right? To a different place. That, that's a super win for me. Yeah, that is a huge win. That's amazing. And what kind of types um, of services do you offer as a coach and a personality type profiler? Yeah. So of course, one-on-one -on -one coaching, which has been focused on INFJ women. I'm actually in the process sort of expanding that because what I've found is that a lot of people come to me because they resonate with my language. And then we find out there's actually a better fit type for them. <laughs> so ah. I'm sort of going to open it up and remove that label. I'll still work with INFJs uh, and INFJ women, but that won't be sort of like a, like the entry gate, I guess you'd say. So one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I also do uh, the personality type consultations in which I walk people through, or I don't walk them through. We do an interview style and I come to the end with what I, think is their best fit type. And we talk through that. Um, I'm also just launching a group coaching program, which for the first time starting next week, that's already been sort of determined, but I, I think it's probably going to be something I'm adding to my business in the future. So, Very so far cool. that's what I have. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I know you said that, you know, sometimes people come to you, resonate with your language, but then you'll realize that they um, are, you know, another best fit type. So have you noticed a pattern like among the other types that have come in? Yeah. Um, well, the, there are some common types that think they're INFJ. Um, and uh, what I've seen a lot in my work are ISFJs, actually, who think they're INFJs. Introverted sensing that they lead with, uh, you know, can be mistaken for introverted intuition if, if you're not quite sure what you're looking at. So they're ISFJs and then um, INFPs, of course, and ISFPs actually um, often think they're INFJs too. 
Um, and lately, just recently, this is pretty rare, but I've had a couple INTJs who thought they were INFJs. And I want to clarify, it's not my role to give them their type. Um, when they enter into that personality type consultation with me, I always let them know that they get the final say, that I reflect back to them what I see based on my training and my knowledge and my experience and patterns that I've recognized. And, um, and then we walk through verification and we see if it resonates with them. And a lot of times, most of my clients are introverts, so they often need some time to go away and process it and think through it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I work that with them. Very, very cool. And um, how can you know, the use of personality types help someone in their personal and professional life? <clears throat> yeah, so the whole point of knowing your type, in my opinion, is uh, for self-awareness and growth. Um, and that self-awareness, um, allows you to have greater like interpersonal awareness and understanding. So by learning about yourself, you're going to see the parts where you trip up, right? You're going to see the patterns that you have that aren't serving you. You know, when you say you want this thing, but maybe you have some patterns that are out of alignment with that desire. So for your personal life, that's where it's really important. And then with learning about personality type, really helps you to understand how to work with other people. If you know and understand their type, um, or even just the idea of types, that we all have different types, right? We see the world differently. We make decisions differently. I can help in your relationships, your job. Um, yeah, as a parent, the list is endless. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I feel like it's extremely like helpful in my relationships. Um, I feel like my relationships have significantly improved after learning about type and mm -hmm. And I think it came back to like my own self-awareness too. Like everyone, you know, is operating differently. They're wired differently. Not everybody has the same reality as you and they don't make the same, you know, decisions as you in the same way. So that's helped me a lot because I feel like I felt a lot of frustration in the past. Like, you know what, like I would have done it this way. Like, why aren't they doing it like that? Or I would have, I would have considered this. How come, you know, they couldn't do that? And it's like, huh, because we're all different. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there can be a, a, you have to be careful with personality type, right? Because it can be used as a weapon or it can be used as like putting people in a box and saying that's the only way. People are still people first and foremost. Like we have, we can ex, uh, express ourselves and behave in ways that are outside of type, or what we might consider for type, but it's definitely a guide. It can definitely give us sort of a framework for understanding. Yeah, yes. And what are the best resources that you'd recommend for personality type enthusiasts hmm. and beginners too? Yeah. Um, I think as we've talked about a few times, personality hacker, I think is a great resource. Um, they've been really instrumental in helping me deepen my understanding. I went through the official Myers-Briggs training to become a Myers-Briggs practitioner. Um, but the personality hacker training so much deeper. So they've got a book, they've got podcasts, website articles, um, I think, you know, an, another really great personal development tool, which I haven't, we haven't talked about is the Enneagram. And if someone is interested in the Enneagram, I would highly recommend the work of Dr. Beatrice Chestnut. Um, she wrote the book, The Complete Enneagram. She um, has a podcast, Enneagram 2.0 with Yoranio Pius. Um, they've got a website with training materials too. I think those are probably my top recommendations for those two types <laughs> for Enneagram Amazing. and MBTI. 
Nice. Well, and just on that note, what, like, do you know what your Enneagram type is? <laughs> yeah. I'm like even more hesitant to talk about my Enneagram type than I am my Myers-Briggs type, but uh, <laughs> I'm, because there's so many like preconceived ideas, um, but I'm a self-preservation four. And I always clarify the self-preservation piece because uh, self-preservation four is the counter type to four. So it looks a little different than what you might think of a, as a typical four. Ah, I see. And I'm sorry, what were like, I know there's self-preservation. There was like, was there social? Yeah. So the instincts and that's Beatrice Chestnut that I just mentioned. She done, she's done a lot of work on helping people understand those because they can really explain differences within people of the same number. But there's self-preservation instinct, there's a social instinct, and then there's a sexual or one-to-one -one is another way to say it. And we have all three, but the idea is that they are in a stacking order um, so that we all have a dominant one and then we kind of have one that's repressed and then one that's in the middle. I see. Interesting. Yeah, because I had learned a little while back that I'm a, like an Enneagram six, but I'm pretty sure it was self-preservation and it was six wing five and I was like okay that's where I get lost but <laughs> yeah. yeah interesting okay so I would like to kind of wrap up our conversation with some mindset since you do a lot of you know coaching around this topic so what tools do you use to train your mindset you know on a daily routine um, is that like meditation journaling like what what do you use I've done probably a lot of different things I think Right now, I'm working with coaches who are really helping me kind of walk through, you know, anything that I'm sticking on. Um, I do journal. I do morning pages as well. I don't know if that's necessarily about training my mindset, but it's definitely helping me notice patterns in my mindset. Um, I've done some meditation. I don't have a regular meditation practice right now. I have done it in the past, um, but I think it's... <clears throat> probably my number one key fed is self-observation, like just being able to be a student of myself and notice um, where my mind is, what my mindset is at different times, and then asking, checking in with myself, is this, is this where, you know, how I want to look at this situation? Is this how I want to act? Is this how I want to respond? I think that's probably the, being able to do that, like regularly practice self-observation is, is key. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And on that topic, can you name one favorite, like, influential thought leader that, you know, you follow maybe in books, podcasts, um, social media, uh, anything? Hmm. I'm not recalling anyone specific. I do, like, have social media and I follow different people, but there's no one that's really just rising to the top as, like, my go-to or guru. I don't really have that kind of relationship with it. Um, I read a lot, you know, I read a lot of different books and articles. And I think more than that, I, I intentionally place myself in groups that are focused on self-development and growth. And a lot of the resources come out of there. So um, I would recommend that if people are looking for, you know, for a particular person, I'd recommend more that they surround themselves with people who also want to be on a growth journey or are actually on a growth journey, journey. And then you can gain resources and ideas from them. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for just being so willing to answer all of the interview questions. I know that was a lot. <laughs> so where can our audience find you online? Yeah, I'm at lesliemcdaniel.com is my website. Um, and I'm on social media as the INFJ life and Instagram mostly. Um, but yeah, they can just uh, send me a message if they'd like through my website or, or check in with me on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to talking to you next time.
You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. What's up, everybody? It's Riley with the That's Deep Podcast. Naomi and I would love to invite you to leave a review on iTunes. Scroll down to the bottom of the page after you're done listening to the episode and find the ratings and reviews. Tap the number of stars you see fit and leave a little comment for us. At the end of each month, we'll do a little raffle and pick a lucky reviewer to receive a little gift card from us at the That's Deep Podcast, a little token of appreciation. Thank you for all your support and good luck.